Hello, and welcome, sweet friends. I hope you have come to me happy and well tonight. If you have not, I hope you can find a little comfort and rest in my forest tonight anyway. You know something? I've been doing a little thinking. Thinking about solitude. This empty and quiet place where I have only my thoughts and my characters here and there to keep me company. It reminds me of where I started, in a cellar with white tiles and remembrances from my darling collectibles. I have changed, and yet I have not changed. Everything around me has changed, and yet not changed. And so it goes, ever on. But there is a piece to that, isn't there? A piece to the knowledge that everything comes round and round, and it doesn't mean you've won or failed, but rather that you've endured. And perhaps the growth happens within the cycle, not by, I don't know, scaling a mountain, winning a race. I don't know. I'm not sure. How could I know? I'm in here. Same as you. Just discovering, rather, what my perspective is. Because perspective is probably key, after all. So, if we cannot measure ourselves, measure our success or failure, our status, our rank, anything very, very fictional, such as all that, then do we therefore have no power? Is it all an illusion? Absolutely not. It's just that we all have it. Some of us choose to believe that. Some of us choose to ignore it. Some of us insist on its non-existence. Some of us hide it for our own protection. But we all have it, I assure you. Anyway, I've been thinking about this power, that we all have, and I have been thinking about the magic that hovers about us, the magic we sometimes harness, some of us, if we like, and I wanted to make some. So I sat down, in my forest, this safe place for me and whoever else comes here peacefully and I shuffled my tarot deck, and I softly asked my cards, What kind of magic do we need tonight? Because I feel that we need something. I need something. Something to invoke. Something to develop. Something to bring into being. I pulled a card, but something in my mind shouted, Don't take this one. This is not the one. So I put it back and shuffled a little more. And then another card jumped out. So I went with my instinct, and I chose that card instead, 
and when I turned it over, joy, victory, exhilaration. It was the sun. Just when I needed it, it came around the corner. Even as the sun set in my forest, even as the night's cold began to creep in, the warmth of this card hit my face immediately, and I smiled at the sight of it. Vitality, success, radiance, joy, joy, joy. But it is the joy, the radiance, the success, the vitality of you, of yourself. Abundance, abundance because others are drawn to you, because you are so warm, so bright, that they cannot help but share in your optimism. It is freedom, it is joy from within, that begets joy from without. We saw this card before, and I told a tale about the sun, but let's forget that for now, because this card is asking you to not be afraid to shine. As I saw it, I thought to myself, I need to celebrate myself. I need to wonder at myself. I need to trust myself. Maybe that's why the phantoms have left me alone here, to my own devices. Because if I cannot celebrate someone else, I have no choice but to celebrate myself. And maybe that is a great service that solitude can provide. I must project my light unabashedly, unapologetically, and deservedly. Joy begets joy. Light begets light. Share in some of my warmth tonight, if you like. I have enough to spare. I have a story about a vampire. I have a story about many vampires. I love vampires. I'm sorry, I feel it's a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. Their elegance. Their beauty their danger, their loneliness. But none of those things are relevant to this story. Let's go to the desk of a very old vampire. One couldn't know if he was the oldest vampire for such information was almost impossible to discover, but certainly one of the most ancient ones still alive on the earth. Imagine an old oak table, shining and without any scratches, well cared for and well loved despite its advanced age. Imagine on it several empty bottles, opaque not from dust, but simply from the way that glass was created long, long ago. And in those bottles, years and years of wax from many candles melted and bubbled over. And tonight, on this particular night, candles lit once more. Even though our old vampire had access to electricity, 
He did not trust it. He wanted natural light, you see. Even if fire was a danger, he trusted it more than he trusted wires feeding in and out of walls where he could not see them. Using processes that he did not understand no matter quite how much he tried to study it. He did not have a passion for modern technology. But he loved old technology. In fact, he dedicated his life to his studies. We'll get to them sooner or later, but for now, just picture this desk. Books. Ancient books. Scrolls, too. Stacked neatly. And a pile of papers, the color of tea, arranged to the side, with his lovely, flowing, cursive writing across them. He was placing them into envelopes, you see, and with a quill and ink he carefully addressed the envelopes and sealed them with red wax. It took quite a long time, and he knew he could have found a typewriter or a fountain pen, but it was the act of the writing, the care he took with it, his love of his own gentle chicken scratch, that made the effort so worthwhile. And after all, what does a vampire have if not time? And what better use of one's time than in the celebration of something one loves? When the last letter was sealed, he smiled to himself and pressed the pile to his silent and still heart. He lived in an enormous castle, of course he did, in a land full of snow, empty for miles and miles. But he could move quickly and safely through the snow, as all vampires can, so it did not bother him. He had waited for this day. For now that the days had grown shorter and the sun set earlier, he knew that many of the little businesses that humans operated would be open while the sun was down, for the first time in several months. And so, with what felt to him like only a few mighty strides of his powerful legs, he sped through those miles and miles to the nearest village that had a post office. No one saw his death-like complexion, for he was understandably wrapped up in winter clothes. No one saw his big red eyes, for they were understandably hidden by snow goggles. No one saw his elegant claws, for they were behind big padded mittens. And he did not need these things, but a human in a snowstorm going to a post office certainly would, and he needed these letters delivered without incident. He was extremely polite and very, very generous with his money as he handed the precious pile to the woman behind the desk. He stressed how precious these were and how important it was that they reached their destination. The old gentleman sounded so concerned and so anxious that the woman reassured him gently that they would be delivered with the utmost care. He watched her place the postage stamps on each one. He helped her to do it, so immense was this pile. And together they placed them all in a bin 
and then together they waited for the little plane to arrive that would take them where they were going. She could see his knees bouncing with anxiety, his fingers tapping back and forth in his mittens, and she just gently reassured him, they will get to where they are going. Don't be afraid. You just need to have faith. He was grateful for the company. When the plane took off, he marveled aloud at how incredible and magical and unknowable he found modern technology to be. She laughed a little and clapped him on the back before saying goodnight. Once he was far enough from the town that he knew no human could see him, he sped back home. Probably even a little faster than when he had arrived that afternoon. So excited was he. Now he just had to wait. What for? For his letters to reach every vampire that he knew of. Every other vampire in the world that he was aware of. It was not that many, mind you. Perhaps only a few hundred. Some he'd met in the past and maintained a good rapport with. Some, for whatever reason, considered him an enemy. But usually those vampires considered everyone of significant power an enemy, so he didn't mind. Some addresses he'd sleuthed out after a good deal of research and searching through history books, journals, letters from around the world. Some he'd only heard rumor of and trusted his excellent instinct on. Some had come to him in a dream. He did request that any vampire who successfully received a letter pass on the message to any other blood drinker they know. The woman at the post office was right. He just had to have faith. He walked into the ballroom of his castle. He had already cleaned it top to bottom. He had already decorated it with bottles and fresh candles. Chandeliers. Torches. He had a solitary record player. A gramophone, actually. Obsolete, for the year he found himself in. But he still preferred it to the new technology available now. Something about the tactile comfort of a needle sliding across a disc. Besides, there was no such thing as time, he knew well. So why not pick and choose his favorite devices from different years? The world had such a bounty of technology, of inventions, and as an inventor himself, he honored his favorite ones with his wonder. His favorite music echoed out through the antique golden horn attached to the device, and was amplified throughout his beautiful, beloved ballroom. And he danced by himself staring up at the ceiling at his own marvelous, beautiful invention. He would wait here until they arrived, and then he would share it with them, all of them, all of those who braved the journey and believed his word anyway. They, too, would just need to have faith. It may have been days or weeks or months 
and it did not matter. Time flew by when he was surrounded by his favorite things. Ballroom, music, and marvelous, beautiful invention alike. Across the world, hundreds of vampires received a letter. To my esteemed kindred, I have thought much about you, whether we have met or not. Whether you have heard of me or no, I have heard tell of you. Or maybe I have simply felt you out there. Or maybe we have just felt each other in a vague, distant, comforting kind of knowing that we are not alone. Either way, I have an invitation for you. I have made a grand invention, an amazing invention, an incredible invention that I have developed for hundreds of lifetimes, and I have tested it, and I know firsthand that it works. I want to share it with you now. I will not ruin the surprise by telling you what it is, but I will say this. It might change everything. And if it does not change everything, it might at least change us. Even if only for one celebration, with as many of us as will be there. I hope to see you at the address enclosed, on the date enclosed. If not, perhaps you will write me back one day and tell me a little about what it's like where you live. I would love to know more about you if you'll trust me enough with that sacred information. With all my love. He signed his name underneath. Some vampires knew the name. Many did not. The writing stood out against the page as very archaic and elegant. Some vampires laughed and tore up the letter. Others immediately perceived it as a hoax and warned anyone they could to avoid the address at all costs. But some... some were curious. Some had been waiting hundreds of years for someone to reach out a hand, and they were not about to reject it now. And so, at the date specified, a handful of adventurous vampires found their way to a cold desolate place. They saw the castle, its large, heavy front doors open wide to the snow, leading into an antechamber where a little snow had piled already. But the place was so large and so warm that it did not affect the ballroom whatsoever. He did not want any of his guests to be concerned with knocking or waiting. Come in. Come in, my friends, he'd call out whenever he sensed a new soul walking in. You've come, and I'm so glad. Follow my voice, he said, his voice so soft and so kind that they trusted their decision to come more and more with each step they took. The final vampire who was coming stepped into the ballroom, amazed at the sparkling golden light of all the candles, 
the chandeliers, the torches. How long it had been since there had been a beautiful vampire ball by candlelight. How long had it been since these evenings had become unfashionable in their community? The music played out from the gramophone, and the final vampire to join the party saw perhaps a couple dozen blood drinkers in the room, talking to one another, smiling, not hiding their fangs. Some seemed a little more reserved, perhaps still a little suspicious. And they all were dressed quite differently, some still in their fashion from their day, some dressed as the glamorous elite of the year they found themselves in now, and some simply wearing whatever they seemed the most comfortable in. But they were all of them magnificent to behold. Maybe just because it was so good to see them. There was no blood offered. This was not that kind of gathering, and everyone's eating habits was not the other's business anyway. I, for one, haven't been hungry for blood in quite some time, but I've never been much of an eater, said the gracious host, cheerfully, but without judgment of the others, admitting that he'd only had little sips here and there to sustain him across the centuries. My taste for blood does not surpass my distaste for causing pain, I'm afraid, he said jokingly and whether the others mocked him for it or not, rest assured some did, really didn't concern him. What a strange old thing he was. He wore large spectacles that magnified his eyes, which were always wide open anyway. He wore an oversized coat over what looked to be a black nightgown that dragged past his feet, and a large grey knit scarf that actually the woman at the post office had ready for him the last time he went to town to visit. It warmed his heart, and so he wore it all the time now. He wore whatever made him feel good and warm and comfortable. And at worst, it made other vampires smile. So why not? The thing is that time misbehaved in this castle. They talked all night. They laughed together. For a brief, shining moment, they each of them forgot that they were elegant, beautiful, dangerous, lonely creatures. And isn't that what a good night should do? But after several hours, one of the guests one of the more skeptical, more reserved, fashionable guests, raised their voice in question. This is all well and good, they began, hand on their hip, perhaps growing a little hungry or bored, or hungry for chaos. But when are you going to show us this incredible invention you say is going to change our lives? The host chuckled a little. Oh, of course I have not forgotten. He looked at his wrist, at a little silver watch there. You'll see it in about, oh, two minutes. The other vampire scoffed a little. Oh, really? And what, 
pray tell is going to happen in two minutes. The host smiled widely, a little too widely for comfort, his fangs hanging over his lips. Sunrise, he said, and pointed to the ceiling. They all looked up and saw for the first time that the ceiling of the ballroom was made of glass. Stained glass. In a strange, very symmetrical, spiraling pattern of geometric shapes. Blues and purples and reds and greens. Dusty glass, like the ancient glass his bottles on his desk were made of. A glass ceiling, just before sunrise. Every vampire in the room's eyes widened, as if their dead hearts each dropped through the floor in that moment. Sunrise. They had lost track of time. I knew it, some of them cried. I knew it was an ambush. Why? Why? Others wept. Most of them shrieked and ran around the grand hall, searching for a way out. Some remained calm. Some had expected this and come nonetheless, and so they were not afraid of the worst. Perhaps a little disappointed, maybe. My friends, my friends, don't hide. The old inventor cried out. You'll miss it. Some of them dropped to the ground, clasping their hands over their heads, weeping. Others knew escape was futile, and so they raised their eyes to the ceiling to watch the sunrise. And in that moment, the sun began to come up, dimly at first, but growing warmer and brighter, and its rays passed through the colorful glass, sending streaks of jewel tones across the hall, onto the floor, across their skin, over their eyes, and it did not hurt them. It was something about the glass, the way it was stained maybe. Was it the way it was tempered? Was it something about the very mathematical pattern? Was it magic? Did it matter? They watched the sun rise up over their heads and into the sky, and they felt the warmth on their faces for the first time since they had been human. The ones looking up wept silently, their mouths open in silent gasps. The ones hiding on the floor continued to shake and cower, until the host gently went to them and whispered, It's alright. The sun is up, and you are alive. And they gingerly rose to their feet too. And when they saw the sun through the colorful shapes above them, 
they too fell in awe. After about one minute of complete silence, one vampire began to applaud. Another started to sob out loud. Another laughed, full-bellied. And soon they all cried out in joy, in jubilation. And our inventor smiled and felt a different kind of warmth this time. He had given them a mighty gift, and he did not forbid himself to celebrate his own ingenuity and generosity. And quietly, he too began to cry with a big smile on his face. Even the vampires who had been skeptical and cold and distant and beautiful in that moment were nothing but children, silly with joy. It was the first day they hadn't slept through. The music played again, and they danced in the sunlight once more. I saw the castle once, and a few vampires were there, still, dancing. Who knows how long they had been dancing for. But some of them had left. But you know something? The old inventor had openly shared the secret of his invention with them, so that they could take the sunlight home. I asked him if he had a gift for me. It was a joke, but one of those jokes that is not really a joke, you know. He gave me a letter, sealed, addressed to me. Don't open it until you're back in your forest, he instructed me with a wagging finger. I obeyed. Let's open it now, shall we? It reads, My friend, thank you for sharing in my sunlight. Here's a little for you to keep. If you're ever confused, look through it for a different perspective. Use it well. Yours eternally. How sweet. And inside it, <laughs> there's a tiny shard of glass, green and opaque. If I hold it up to my eye and look through it, just towards that sunrise over there, I see not the lake, not the trees, not the forest, but a tower with flashing lights in the distance, tall concrete buildings, cars, buses, trains below moving quickly, little houses with people in them, 
turning on their lights to begin a brand new day. Each of them looking for their own sunlight. There it is. There is Toronto staring at me. No matter how hard I try to pretend it isn't. And isn't it beautiful too? Quite lovely in its sadness, its elegance, its danger, its loneliness. It needs sun too. But it could be any other city. It could be a countryside. It could be wherever a certain side of reality is. It's not important. What's important is that I understand what this gift is. It is the ability to feel the sun's warmth on me, no matter where I am. Because it's actually within me, too. If I can share that with you tonight, I am happy. It may be nighttime, but try now, if you can, like a cat on a windowsill, to feel the warmth. Do you? Good night, my friends. Sleep well in that sunlight and have sweet dreams. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of On a Dark, Cold Night. I hope that you're doing well out there, getting lots of rest, treating yourself gently. This is Kristen Zaza, your host, writer, podcaster, narrator, composer. Not in any order, but just generally all of those things, I suppose. Thank you for joining me tonight, and every night that you join me. I would like to send a big thank you to a wonderful listener who sent me a donation via coffee.com this week. Thank you so much to Shep for your kindness and generosity. I'm very grateful to you, Shep. If you'd like to make a one-time donation via the price of metaphorical coffee, head on over to ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight to learn more. And I'd like to also send a big thank you to my patrons who support the show on a monthly basis via patreon.com. Thank you so much for your continued support. All patrons who pledge $1 US or more a month receive access to my constantly growing soundtrack, while patrons who pledge $5 US or more receive that perk as well as access to a monthly tarot reading video I upload for every full moon. You can learn more about those perks and supporting the show monthly by visiting patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. And a big thank you tonight going out to wonderful listener Rennie A. from the U.S. who updated their five-star review on iTunes. I always love hearing from listeners in this way, and it's a very supportive way to help out uh, what I do here as well. So thanks so much to Rennie A. for taking the time to write some kind words for the show. If you enjoy what I do here and want to help spread the word, I'd love it if you left a rating and a review on iTunes too, or Facebook, or wherever else you like to rate podcasts. 
and I also have t-shirts and hoodies available for purchase at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night, so feel free to check those out. Thank you for joining me this week. It's been a bit of a busy time. It seems also a bit of a chaotic time, a time of change around here, though I'm not quite sure yet just how big those changes are, but I'm trying to keep myself open, listen carefully, seize opportunities as they present themselves to me, and keep on shining. If you want to join me in that, you are certainly more than welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And good night, my friends. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.